This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Pastor Sean, so I get to fill in for Pastor Tim um, this morning. But before we start, would you join me in prayer? Father, we pray, Lord, for those that the team in Europe was able to interact with, Lord, to have conversation with, to be a light to you, Lord. We pray, God, that you would draw them to yourself today. We pray, Lord, that they would come to a saving knowledge and relationship with you, Jesus, Lord. It is worth it, Lord, to have people from Las Vegas go and following Jesus and get to know people on the streets of Croatia and get them just to to point them to you, Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for um, providing for this team to go. We thank you for protecting them thus far and for using them, Lord. We pray, God, that you just continue to hand of have your hand of protection over them as they travel, as they drive through multiple countries to get to Austria. And Lord, we pray that you'd use them as a blessing in uh, that conference, that they would be a blessing to the pastors there, that they would be an encouragement to one another. We pray, God, that you'd speak to them and encourage them. I pray, Lord, this morning for us here that are left back with the stuff, so to speak, God, I just pray, God, that we would receive from you this morning, Lord. We, we've, we've gathered here because as we've heard over the last weeks, we're we're disciples and we need to be pointed and directed towards you, Jesus. Help us to move with you. Help us to stop when you stop. Help us to listen when you speak and help us to move when you move. We just need you, Lord. We, We confess that this morning. And so we commit this whole time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the last um, three weeks, Pastor Tim has been doing a discipleship series. Oh, before I start, sorry. Does anyone need a Bible this morning? If you need a Bible, just lift your hand up and we'll get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. They'll also have the verses on the screen as well. Just leave your hand up if you need one. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So over the last three weeks, to catch you all on the same page and caught up, Uh, Pastor Tim has been doing a series, a three-week series on discipleship, or what is a disciple? You know, in the first week, he asked us, invited us to identify ourselves. What kind of disciple are we? Are we um, part of the multitudes? Are we part of the group that kind of is following Jesus in a mass and trying to get something, just to get something from him? Are we part of the 70? Are we part of the 12? Are we part of the three? Are we part of the one? And then the second message, he talked about just the elements of being a disciple, the actions. And he talked about the confession from the mouth, the believing in the heart, the submission to God as he speaks, and the revelation of God that comes for a disciple. In his third message, he talked just specifically about growing up. How do we mature? Because God has called us as disciples of Jesus, to continue to follow and grow in Him. We're not who we were when we started, and who we're not who we will be when God's done with us on this side of eternity. Amen? So we are all in process. We are all in process. And I'd like to kind of touch on another facet of uh, being a disciple, and that's His call. And so this morning, um, I've titled this message, Consider Your Glorious Calling. And if you're, maybe you say, I don't identify with any of those in that first series. I don't identify with any of those positions. Maybe I'm not a multitude. Maybe I'm on the fringes. I'm just kind of curious. I'm seeking. I don't know what this Jesus thing is, this Christianity, this church thing. But I, I, I know I'm here, so I want to hear more about this Jesus. And we want to welcome you. And we're glad you're here. So we want to talk this morning about his call on our lives. And as we follow him, God intersects lives along the way. It's a beautiful thing because my wife and I have this testimony of being able to have met people literally all over the globe in different socioeconomic 
different experiences, different passports, all of the, that we would not have met had we not been engaged and begin to follow Jesus as disciples of his. And he has the same for you. Maybe he doesn't taste, take you across borders and into new ventures, but as you continue to follow Jesus, on the way, guess what? Jesus wants to draw people to himself. And guess what? Part two, he wants to use you oftentimes. <coughs> it will be more natural. Maybe it'll be an engaging in relationships. For some, we, we, we would look at what Pastor Tim was talking about. As he mentioned, you know, these two or three that they got to um, connect with, build relationships with through an English camp to teach people English language. But to, for the sake of pointing them to the gospel, we might think, oh, man, that's, that's kind of a lot of work, a lot of sweat, a lot of time for just two people, for just three. You know, God sent this dude Philip and Acts all the way to the middle of nowhere to meet with one Ethiopian eunuch. And that guy was reading a scroll of Isaiah. So we don't know how God wants to work those intersections in his sovereignty. But we know that as we follow Jesus, God will cause us to intersect with people. And that in that, we get to point people to him. So what is our glorious calling? I want to tell you a little bit about um, ourselves. You know, some of you guys know bits and pieces. Um, if you've been going to this church for a while, um, we were supported missionaries by Paradise Calvary Chapel. And so you've heard maybe some stories and we've had some interactions and conversations. But I want to let you know on a little glimpse of Sean and Megan. My wife's name is Megan. She's back there. She's the pretty one right there. Okay. So, um, so over the last decade, um, my wife and I, we served between uh, Hungary and Ethiopia. And so our kids have never lived in the U.S. This is their first time living in the U.S., but they acclimate quickly. <laughs> For Megan, 15 out of the last 17 years, she's lived outside of the U.S. So um, we were able to form relationships, as I mentioned, with people from all over the world, war-torn countries, radical testimonies, um, different like lots in life and different education levels and just all of the i mean so much variety and diversity but god had intersected us with so many people and as i mentioned previously that if jesus didn't come into our lives these things wouldn't have happened like we wouldn't have been able to be a part of that piece of the puzzle to connect people to the lord god in his sovereignty could have brought someone else because he clearly doesn't need us but we get to be a part of what God is doing. We got to enjoy those relationships. And, and you know what's cool about being part of the body of Christ? It's not just like an American thing. <laughs> we get to meet people in, in different denominations and different groups in the world that, man, we are like brothers and sisters. We've known each other a week, and some of those relationships were deeper than relationships I had with coworkers in the world. And so it's sweet. It's great. It's awesome. And I used to think as a 20-year-old before I gave my life to Jesus, I said, God, if I give you my life and, and, and fully surrender it to you, like it's going to be boring. It's just going to be a bunch of rule following and all of that. And I, I couldn't have imagined what the Lord would do and has done. Radical testimonies, lives changed, and really hard stuff along the way. Make no mistake that as we follow Jesus, Jesus will put his finger, the Holy Spirit will put his finger on things that we sometimes would have to lay down and lay aside. For the rich young ruler, those things were his possessions, right? For us, it may be something different. Whatever it is that we have to lay aside is not necessarily easy. But can I tell you today and testify that it's worth it? It's worth it. And so um, sometimes that stuff that we have to lay aside or let go of or just continue moving forward and following Jesus in is external. Some of it is as we follow Jesus, it's internal. He's, he's poking us. He's prodding us. He's compelling us. He's convicting us. He's challenging us by his spirit. The external things, you know, as was mentioned in the announcements, we want to be praying for you. But a lot of the prayer requests not but, but a lot of the prayer requests that come in are a lot of times about the external things. Finances. I understand. I mean, that's, 
jobs. Like, Lord, I need a new job. What about sickness? Lord, I, I, need, I need physical healing. I need healing. Or relationships. Lord, there's an estranged relationship. There's bitterness. There's unforgiveness. Lord, these things exist. And these are kind of on the external side. And then there's the internal side. Lord, I just am praying for that loved one to just know you. They don't know you yet, God, and I want them to have a relationship with you. In either case, those challenges and that hard stuff can happen internally and externally. And in many ways, that's what happen- is happening in our text this morning. So if you turn in your Bibles um, to 1 Corinthians 1, this area of Corinth, which was a city, um, was a trade city. So it was a very diverse people group, different socioeconomic levels, different um, ethnicities, different religions. It was this hodgepodge of wealth, affluence, and everything in between. And many of the church had come from that lifestyle or from those backgrounds, all to kind of come together to be part of this body of believers in the city of Corinth. Um, And they would be part of this new family called the church. Externally, there would be all of these influences like we have today, temptations, Ways of measuring up to what we inside the family in Corinth would try to look like. We compare, is it supposed to look like that? Is it supposed to look like this? And so many of Paul's exhortations here are instructions to them. Because a lot of in what's going on is there's a level of spiritual immaturity for God's people. They're not growing up. There's a level of, and because of that, there's a level of divisiveness meaning people are rallying around certain teachers. They're rallying around certain causes. And there's also, mixed into that, a level of carnality. Carnality is basically fleshly compromise. We're going to try and marry the world with marry the things of Christ. And so these are all of the challenges that Paul is is addressing in the first letter to the Corinthians. But what we're going to be this morning is Paul calling them back. Again, The title of this message is Consider Your Glorious Calling. And so we're going to look first at verse 26 in just the first portion because I want to challenge you guys in just that first portion this morning. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, the first part, the first line. It says, For you see your calling, brethren. I want to pause there. A lot of the things that are happening in Corinth are a direct result to something that they are not considering, they're not remembering, and they're not embracing. And I think the same temptations and the same things could affect us as disciples of the 21st century, even in this church. And it's just this, consider your calling family of God. Consider your calling. Look back. See. See who you were. Okay? Keep in mind. Maybe you're thinking about it. See who you were. See what you've been delivered from. You remember what you were when you first came to the Lord? You remember who you were? You remember what you were doing? Now think to where you are now and what God has done. Remember how it happened? Was it because you were doing so great and you're so awesome and you were able to offer God so many of these things? Do you remember how how you just came to God in simplicity and God, I have nothing to offer you but myself? Remember how it was just about the cross? Remember those things that you were initially called to? Paul wants those believers in Corinth and for us today it echoes, remember where God saved us from. And the other side of that is it's personal. This isn't an actor, an actress reading the lines of another person's role. It's personal. This is your calling. This is your calling. This is your calling. It's not, not, oh, that's someone else's. What's your testimony? What has God done? Who, Who were you then and who are you now? What has He delivered you from? What has He delivered you to? These are the things that Paul is asking them to consider. 
because amidst everything else, there's a lot of arguments and division going on. Well, wait, wait, before I'm going to address that, Paul might say, let me go back to let's address who you were, what you came from, what you had to offer God, and what God saved you from. Your calling, brethren. And then that word brethren, brother, sister, family. You've been called out of those things to now you're called into a family. Remember, you're part of a family. You're not just this person that attends a service or sits in a pew. You become a part of the family of God if you are a disciple this morning. So it's looking back and it's personal. Let's continue on from verse, the second part of verse 26 up to 29. It says... I'm going to read it all together. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Okay. This isn't a pursuit like let's, let's not be wise. Let's stop working out. Or um, let's, let's, if I have a title, I'm going to drop it. Or if I'm a manager, I'm going to stop you know, that work and I'm going to do something else. That's, it's not a pursuit, guys. It's a reality of who we were and who God has called. He says, not many of you are wise, intellectual. Not many of you are mighty, and not many of you are noble in title and status. In other words, these aren't the mechanisms, these aren't the vehicles, these are not the things that brought you to Jesus. It wasn't your own wisdom. It wasn't your own strength. Right? It wasn't your position or your title that brought you to Jesus. You know, when we look at the Gospels, when we see Jesus' life, I mean, it is all of these various demographics of people coming to Jesus, hearing about this son of a carpenter, this healer, this teacher, this Messiah. Hebrews tells us that he is, and we sang about it this morning, that he is the expressed image of the Godhead. Basically, we want to know what God is like. We want to know what heaven is like. We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. What did he do? What did he speak? How did he act? This is our Lord. This is who we're called to follow. And it's not because of one of the disciples, you know, their strength. Okay, I want you on my team to be in my 12. It wasn't because their wisdom. Oh man, Matthew, you're a tax collector. You're super smart with numbers. I'm going to have you be my. No, it's not. It wasn't any of those things. It was. God choosing the things that the world wouldn't to do something better, greater than what they could do apart from Him. And that's still what He does today. God has chosen the foolish things. Chosen. He's chosen the weak things. He's chosen the base, meaning the low. He's chosen the despised. As a New Living Translation puts it, he's chosen the things counted as nothing at all. Who's the one that's counting it as nothing at all? Society, the culture, the world. He's saying, I, I choose that. I, I get this vision of like the schoolyard, right? Where it's like you're in PE or something and you got to choose teams for a sport. And it's like the person who no one wants on their team, right? You're like, oh, I guess I'll take him this time. That's the one he wants. We all know what it feels like when someone has to put up with us. Like, I'm keeping you around because I need you or because I have to have you. No, he, he chose. He said, I want that. And why would he do that? Why is Paul reminding of that? He's saying that no, so that no flesh, verse 29, that no flesh would boast or glory in his presence. So that we would clearly see that it's God that did this. It wasn't me. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't my intellect. It wasn't my position, my power, my wealth. It wasn't any of those things. (coughs) Excuse me. So the things and the value system that God has 
are so different than what the world has. You know, part of what we're studying and what Pastor Tim will continue in the series is the Gospel of Matthew. And it, you know, he's titled it The Forsaken Kingdom. And so often it's Jesus through demonstration and through teaching showing the world that God's kingdom has a different set of values. He doesn't value things that the world values the way that the world values it. Okay, excuse me. And it's been said too that we know that it wasn't man alone that just wrote the Bible. The Bible that we have this, you know, today, it was obviously men who the Spirit had moved to record the Word of God. But they weren't, it's not just the mere words of men. Because if men were writing it, it would talk about how great men are. It would diminish the size of God. In Romans, Paul wrote that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That means when I read the Word of God, God gets bigger. His promises get bigger. He makes himself bigger. If man was writing it, merely man and man alone, it'd be like, yeah, you know, we're pretty good. We did a pretty good job following the rules. We're pretty mighty. We're pretty wise. It doesn't point out the glory of man. It doesn't point out man's ability to keep a bunch of rules because he couldn't. It doesn't point out that a man is better than another man or a woman is better than another woman or that man is better than woman. It tells of the ordinariness and the failures, the shortcomings and the sin of man. So why? That we could identify. Man, if God used a joker like that, he could use me. Like, Maybe I'm not called to the exact same thing as that guy, but I mean, look at the people. Think about, think about all that. And then, and then part of how you know it's God writing it is in spite of all of that, God puts in there His redemptive plan throughout all of history to redeem mankind back to Himself. And the work that he would do through them, that it would be beyond their own capacity and ability. Look at Hebrews 11 in your mind. I mean, recall it in your mind. Are those people that before God got a hold of them that you would choose to have on your team? Oh yeah, I totally would have chose Gideon on my team. No, it's, it, it's, it's a bunch of ordinary people that what we read of is what they did in the realm of faith because God was working to them, through them. One of my favorite verses on this is uh, kind of dealing with this is, is about the disciples. Um, before we turn there, it's, it's, it's funny to think of just the disciples as a sample size of God's choosing. That Jesus literally chose these 12. Who did he choose? Fishermen. Right? A tax collector. A zealot. Yeah, they would sit on the opposite sides of the room. A political zealot that's anti-Rome. And a tax collector. A doubting Thomas. A betraying Judas. A denying Peter. These are the ones that he chose. Acts 4.13. Acts 4.13. I think the verse is going to be up here. One of my favorite verses when I came back to the Lord. This is speaking of um, Peter, who, you know, just weeks, weeks, weeks before was denying Jesus three times before a servant girl by a fire. And now it says, this is the speaking of the, the, the Jewish leaders. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, these guys were spoken before thousands, people were getting saved. They're now speaking before the elite the high position, the Jews, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. You know, when Jesus was on there, it was like, he speaks as one having authority and now like these guys are kind of speaking like him and they look a lot like him in their character and their boldness and wow, I guess we're just going to marvel because these guys are just like Jesus. You know, God's called us, not that we're all going to preach like that, but he's called us into the same thing. That as, we, that as we would follow Jesus, that he would conform and transform us to be more like 
him, that we would look more like Jesus and act more like Jesus, not as a list of a to-do thing. I used to look at the, um, the fruit of the Spirit as a, as a laundry list of things I got to do. Anybody else ever can identify with that? As, especially as a kid. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, I got to love. Okay, I'm going to love. Got to be patient. I'm going to be patient. Kind. Gentle. Keep going on, right? But it was, it was like this list, but then I, I couldn't do it all the time. Anyone else can relate? It's a fruit of the Spirit. As I follow Jesus, as the Holy Spirit is working in you and I, that, become, that becomes a byproduct. It's not a fruit that like, I don't, I don't like talk to my, if I plant a little fruit tree, I don't talk to it to make it grow, right? The power's in the roots. Same thing. It's not, the power isn't in me. It's not me. It's not you. It's that the Holy Spirit, the power is working in you and transforming you to be more like Jesus. It's not that whole like, okay, I got it. What would Jesus do? How am I going to do this right now? It's Lord, I need your help. I can't do this. And then him doing something that you couldn't do on your own. Another story comes to mind and related to this text in 1 Corinthians 1. Again, I, I'm kind of flip flop in between the text and a little bit of our personal kind of journey and, and testimony. So um, 10 years ago, this month, um, an orphanage was open in, a children's home was open in southern Ethiopia by our friends Argo and Rachel. <coughs> and it was started in faith. Like I was mentioning earlier that a lot of times in following Jesus, there's hard things. They had tried to do a Bible study and some things had happened and that the Lord kind of closed that door. Not that he doesn't want people to hear the Bible, but it just wasn't that season. They tried to do a street kids ministry. That didn't happen either. Some things happened. They tried to open this children's home and it took years. <clears throat> but wait, it's the will of God. You know, he cares for the fatherless. He cares for the orphan. He cares... As we follow God, part of the process that God wants to work in us is the endurance and the perseverance of faith. That, it, that God, I know you've called me to it, and despite what everyone else is saying and all the circumstances that are going on externally, I know from you that you called me to do this. So we're just going to keep going in this direction until you say otherwise. And so they open this home. And the first child they received wasn't... Was, was, was different. Many had given up on this little girl. And they were advised by even those in the medical profession that this girl was going to pass away in a few months and that it wasn't worth it to bring her in, especially as their first child, because it would be representative of the ministry and organization on the local level. <clears throat> and so they said, well, if she's going to die in a few months, we'll just take care of her until she goes home and give her Jesus. If it's longer, then we'll just let that be. And so they, they brought her in. And, and using human logic and human reasoning, that kind of echoed what the medical pro, uh, professionals were saying. This is a, a poor, malnourished girl from the rural areas. She comes from a, a bigger family, but they were not able to take care of her because of all of the needs she had. She was five years old. And she was the size of a three-year-old. She was unable to walk as a five-year-old. She spoke little to no words. So they thought that she had a mental condition. She had a heart condition. She had a lung condition. And she was legally blind. And so that, that couple, our friends, Argo and Rachel, became mommy and daddy to Lantu. And... Um, that's one of the things I loved when I went there in 2012 to visit <clears throat> before the, we knew that the Lord had called us to go there. Um, there was only 12 kids at the time. And I had been in, other, orphanage in e uh, other orphanages in Eastern Europe, but I loved walking into theirs because all the kids called them mommy and daddy. And it was kind of functioned more as a family than it was like that. I had a certain connotation, you know, that flickering fluorescent light kind of like these, but flickering, and 
kind of dirty white walls and kids untouched in their cribs. And you have these, this contrast of what, what I saw there was these kids were calling mommy and daddy. And um, we that would later move there in 2013 and had the privilege of being Lantu and many other kids, aunt and un uncle and aunt, sorry. Um, in that three-year span, since from 2010 when she first arrived to 2013 when we arrived on the scene, she was alive. So she had already broken that kind of projection for her life. She was thriving. She was walking. She was talking. She's singing worship songs. She loved to sing. She's dancing. And she had this amazing gift for languages. She spoke three, language, three languages fluently, her tribal language, the Ethiopian language, and the English language. She also was learning another tribal language. There's more than 80 tribes in Ethiopia, just to give you guys that heads up. And she was also learning French for kicks. She couldn't, literally, she couldn't read the words, but she had this gift of hearing. Like she could hear and repeat. And it was crazy because it wasn't with an accent. It's like it was like a recorder. And it's beautiful. And um, in all of these things, her, her, the greatest thing that I could say that she thrived in, her love for Jesus, simple and genuine. She wasn't hindered. What some might view as deficiency in her as this girl who was, couldn't see very well. <coughs> it didn't like others didn't inhibit her from following the Lord or prohibit her. She didn't try to please everybody. She just had this like simplicity. She wasn't, you know, when you, she couldn't see like how big the giants were, so to speak. She just had faith because that's what Jesus called her to. And she enjoyed it. And she had this simplicity and this joy. So according to the values esteemed by the world, if you were to pick someone on your team based on the criteria when she arrived in January of 2010, she might have been the cast off, the last pick. And these are kind of the echoes of that cast off, that the one that is viewed as, as nothing at all by the world, these are the ones who he has called. God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the low, the despised, and those counting as nothing. And why did he do it this way? Why? Well, one, he's God. <laughs> so he gets to do it however he wants to do it. But two, you know, it says there in verse 29, it says that no flesh should glory in his presence. And it could have been the end of the chapter. It could have been full stop right there. But Paul kind of takes that to a deeper level. Okay. So look with me in verses 30 and 31. He says, but of him... <clears throat> But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us, or some of your translations may say to us, wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Of him. You are in Christ Jesus. This is your identity, brother. This is your identity, sister. It's not what all those other people are saying about you. It's not that you're weak or that you're foolish. It's not that you're mighty or that you're wise. This is your identity in Christ Jesus. Of Him, you are in Christ and he's going to list specifically what we are and what we could not be without him. What we couldn't achieve in our own ability. So that we can't say it was because of fill in the blank that God chose me. It was because fill in the blank, what I had to offer him, fill in the blank in my list that he said, I want that guy on my team. And he's going to, I'm going to go through each of these that he says there. He became for us and to us 
those who are foolish, weak, low, and despised and counted as nothing, wisdom from God. Earlier in the chapter, he says that the gospel, the message of the gospel, is the wisdom from God, and it's foolishness to the world. It's silly. Why would a God go through all of this to save a knucklehead like you? Why would he do all that? What do you have to offer in exchange? Why would he do that? Why is he so, you know, it's, it's too hard to believe this grace. Amen, it is too hard to believe. It's scandalous that God would give himself and impart these characteristics to us when we could never deserve it, even if we willed it to the, for the rest of our lives. It dispels the idea that many people have that if I know I've done wrong, I know I've made mistakes, I know I have guilt, I know I have shame, so now I will cover it by other things. I'm going to cover it with my good stuff. I'm going to help these people. I'm going to give to that person. I'm going to pray. That's great. Do it. But that's not what deals with this stuff. That's not what deals with your guilt. That's not what deals with your shame. That's not what deals with your sin. That's why he had to come. That's why he had to come. So let's look at that. The wisdom from God, the gospel, the good news that Jesus went to the cross for you and I that he lived a life of perfect obedience to his Father, and that he would go to the cross in obedience, lay himself down, his body broken, his blood shed for us, and then rise again for our hope and justification, that we could move forward. This is the gospel, and this is foolishness of the world, but for us, yes, we receive it like a punt, fair catch. I want it. I want it, Lord. This is what I get in you. Righteousness affecting our standing. It's not because you did all of these right things that God's like, okay, cool, I chose you. Oh, okay, cool, you're called because you did all these right things because you're a good boy or a good girl. It's not because of those things. Because we couldn't do enough right. And because of that standing, you are accepted, you are approved because of what He did. So His righteousness has been imputed or imparted to us, and that's who He became for us and to us. So it wasn't our righteousness. That's why we're chosen and called. It was His. Sanctification. Dealing with our cleansing. Set aside. Consecrated. Purified. We couldn't clean ourselves. No matter how much I shower or scrub my hands, there's things that these hands have done in sin that I can't make go away on my own. I can scrub. You know, I can say, oh, I'm going to do good things with these hands, God. But these hands have done bad things. My unclean hands have done unclean things in my past. And so he says, it's not because you're cleaning yourself that you're accepted. It's not because of your cleansing that you were called and chosen. It's because of his cleansing and his ability to do what you couldn't do for yourself. So we can look at these three, and let's add to it redemption, as things that we could never do without him. So that's why he had to come. And that's what Paul wants these believers in Corinth to see so they don't deal with the petty stuff of dividing over issues and choosing teachers, and following different paths, and holding certain standards over people that they can keep. And so I'm going to say, you should do it this way. And if they don't keep it, okay, well, you could do it this way. Oh, they did it. Okay, now you're part of my group. He wanted to dispel that. Because family, brother, sister, this is the family you were called into. The same God that did it for me had done it for you. And that redemption, that final one, is the act of purchasing and delivering. I like the way one, one definition says it. Liberation procured by the payment of ransom. What kind of person needs a ransom? A slave? A hostage. Oh, let's send in the hostage negotiator. What, what does he want? What's the ransom price? He paid your ransom price. So 
Remember what he said earlier when we first started in verse 26. Remember your calling. See your calling. Consider it. This is who you were. Remember that you were bought. Later in 1 Corinthians 6, he'll say, you were bought with a price, so honor God with your body. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of an innocent man, by the blood of the Son of God, so that we could bicker back and forth, so that we could choose tribes and groups that we're going to like, so that we could not mature, so that we could exist in carnality. All of those things maturing, getting out of carnality, not being divisive, are things that are going to happen as a natural byproduct of maturing in Christ. We want to see you guys continue to follow Jesus. I know that's Pastor Tim's heart too. We don't want to just see you come and say, okay, I'm good now. You continue to follow and God will do things in your life that you would never imagine. He will also ask you to sacrifice and lay down things that you probably wouldn't ever want to give up otherwise. But those are the things that are holding you back from fully pursuing Him. And you know that He is doing this from the basis of what He is saying here, on the basis of His choosing, on His basis of His love. So as we go through this, why? So that we would glory in the Lord. That we would say, Lord, you get all the glory that I'm received by you. You get all of the glory. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it, like we sang this morning. That you would ransom me. That you you would redeem me. That you would sanctify me. That you would be my righteousness. That you would be the wisdom of God for me that you would be the things that I could never be apart from you. I can't be that. So you did it for me. And I just received that. And therefore, all as brothers and sisters and family, that's a level playing field. We're all at the same place. Now we can move forward together. In 2014, going back to our story, our, our niece at nine years old went home to be with Jesus. And it's one of those things that I was mentioning is hard. Um, that's a hard one. Um, she was given months to live. She lived four and a half years. Of all the kids, she had the clearest simplicity and faith in Christ. It's like, you know she's going to heaven. You're still working and, and, and giving the gospel to the other ones, but you know, you know Lantu is. And it wasn't because she was great. It wasn't because she was wise. It wasn't because she was mighty. It wasn't because she had a big status in life. It was the simplicity of responding to the invitation and the call to follow Jesus. And she grew in it. Hundreds of people all over the world prayed for her during her transition to eternity. Hundreds attended her memorial from professors to toddlers to from beggars to politicians and everything in between. And this is the text I had the privilege of sharing at her memorial. And so this text always reminds me of my call, but then it reminds me of Lantu. And I shared this and I said, who does this? I was challenging those in attendance at the memorial. Who does this? Who takes a girl from her station in life with her diagnosis of all of these ailments and exalts her and lifts her up to a place to display his power? God does that. I was able to share the gospel with these people in attendance. From again, toddlers to professors, from beggars to politicians. And it wasn't a gathering to remember a famous person, but a little girl whose love for God was contagious and whose life in various ways had an impact on so many. May we be so fortunate by the grace of God to have that kind of impact on people's lives. That the simplicity of our walk with Jesus 
that the impact that our life had, whether they knew it was Jesus or not, that they would know and be drawn and attracted to that. Again, this girl that no one counted as anything, hundreds of people are at her memorial. Hundreds of people prayed for her. And this is the one whom God chose. And she impacted our life, I think, more than we had an opportunity to impact hers. And we sang that day through smiles and tears. We sang her favorite worship song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And a year to date of her passing, you want to talk about the ripple effect of a disciple. A second children's home was opened in 2015, a year to the date of her passing, and it's named Lantu's home. And it's to love and serve children predominantly with special needs like Lantu. Like, who does that? Who does this? It's not, it's not Argo and Rachel. It's not, it's not us. Like, who, who, who would select and say, I want to do that, and I'm going to work through this girl? It's God. So that what? No one can glory in his presence. So that we would give him the glory. A decade ago, that couple started with one child and nearly 200 have come through those doors in the now three homes in Ethiopia. They could have said, they had the opportunity by the officials to reject her and say no. And some were saying too, from an optic standpoint, from a PR standpoint, you shouldn't take her because you should take like maybe a healthier girl or a healthier boy as your first child because that kind of represents and we could take some pictures and represents the organization or ministry. They said, no, we're going to take her. And look at the ripple effect. It's beautiful. It's being a disciple. It's following him and seeing what God's going to do. And it impacted us personally so much so that um, um, our youngest of our two daughters that was adopted from Ebenezer Grace, um, her middle name is Lantu. means blossom. So this is, this is a personal story, but this is the story of what God did through her life and, and how it impacted mine. You know, it's funny, like now with this text and looking at her life and remembering things, I realize that we're more alike than we are different. Isn't that true? We choose to focus on like the, the most menial, unimportant stuff to differentiate ourselves from other people. And God says, family, I want you to remember this collectively, what I've done for you. And then from that, it'll, it'll change the way you think about people, the way you treat people, and the way you want to give the gospel to people. So this is your glorious calling, your story. I'm asking you this morning to consider it. Maybe you got to go home and write it down. Maybe you've already had some things working in your head. Consider your calling. Consider who you were, what you've been delivered from, and who you've been delivered to, and how it all happened. What did you have to offer God? God doesn't want to share his glory. So he will take these kind of people from these kind of circumstances so people could say, wow, God used a person like that for his glory. He became, last reminder, he became for you. He became for me what I and what you could never be for yourself. And to him, and to him alone be the glory. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you that your word doesn't, it doesn't change just as you don't change. And it reminds us of who you are. It makes you bigger. And it still applies and is relevant to us today, thousands of years later. I thank you that you are faithful to the end. I thank you that this is the Jesus we follow. The one who is faithful unto the end. That could save to the uttermost. And not basing our worth on our ability to perform and do something, but simply basing it on your love and your heart for us as being created in your image. 
as wanting to redeem us. So thank you for being for us what we couldn't be on our own. Lord, I pray for those this morning that they felt stirring through this discipleship series to to move forward, to grow up. I pray, God, that you would help them to, to move on. Maybe they've been sitting for a long time, not pursuing, not not responding to your call to continue to follow you. This faith that we rest on, it's not just about getting to heaven, Lord. We follow you into the end, till our last breath. And some of the things you're going to take us to are going to be extremely hard. But we're going to get to experience things that we wouldn't otherwise if we just sit in the seat. We're going to experience relationships that we otherwise wouldn't known if we had just stayed in the seat. So call us out of our seats. Call us into a pursuit of you, Lord, we pray this morning, Jesus. But we can't do it apart from you. So so give us that desire, Lord. Give us that uh, beck in our hearts. Call us, Lord. Quicken our hearts to you. We can't do it without you, Lord, we confess this morning. And for those that don't know you, God, that are on the fringes, I pray, Lord, that they would know that it's not about anything that they can do in performance for you. That this thing called Christianity is about what you have done for man and what you have done for them. And I pray, Lord, that they would respond giving you the glory by submitting their life to you, Lord. So we just give you these things. We give you all of the people in this room that none of us would glory, but that we would only glory in you, Jesus, this morning. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.